0: The friends and partners of Kevin Inman Ministries present Contenders Radio with Pastor Kevin Inman. Pastor Kevin is committed to equipping you to earnestly contend for the faith. For more information on Pastor Kevin and Contenders Radio, please visit our website at www.kevininman.org. That's www.kevininman.org.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of Contenders Radio. I'm your host, Kevin Inman, and today we'll be listening in on a sermon that was preached yesterday at Grace Point at Eagle Heights in Orange, Texas. This is from our series on the Gospel of John, and the sermon is titled, Doing the Greater Works. It's from John chapter 14, verse 15 and following. I hope you enjoy. Well, I invite you to open to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, I'm going to turn there as well. We're going to look at John 14, we'll be in some of John 15, not all, and some of John 16. And the reason we're going to do that is because Jesus is repeating himself here for the benefit of the disciples. And so there's much common ground between these three chapters. And he's building to to such a beautiful chapter, John chapter 17, where we see... Uh, At least in my Bible here, it's labeled the high priestly prayer. I believe um, this is rightly called the Lord's Prayer. I think we've mislabeled the Lord's Prayer, uh, the Our Father Prayer. I think that was a prayer Jesus was, by His own words, teaching the disciples how to pray. But John 17, Jesus is praying for His disciples. And, and so this, I believe, is truly the Lord's Prayer. And, and so chapter 14, 15, and 16, as Jesus is in the upper room with His disciples, right before He's going to the garden, He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten and whipped and, and abused. And uh, then eventually He'll be led to the cross where He'll give Himself on the sinner's cross to pay for our sin. Jesus will willingly do that, giving Himself for us Because as we'll see in a moment, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Amen? Amen. And so building up to that time though here, really beginning in John 13, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. In John 13, it's it's been over a month now. We were there a couple months actually. The Lord's Supper, Jesus takes that familiar Passover meal. That was pointing. It was pointing all through the Old Testament. It was pointing to the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus uh, himself was going to provide. And and Jesus takes that that familiar Passover meal in John 13 and, and he shows what it was pointing to. It was pointing to his sacrifice. And, and so he washes the feet of his disciples, taking the, taking the role of, of the servant. And, and they're beside themselves, especially Peter. And, and when Jesus finally explains to him that if he doesn't wash him, he can have no part of him, Peter says, then wash my whole body. Peter always goes ab- overboard, I think. But, but uh, coming off of that, Jesus then moves into this teaching about, about love. And we see that in, in John 13, verses uh, 34 and following. But, but here, back to John 14, he's, he's still carrying on that same theme of, of preparing them for his departure. And he tells them in 14.1, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am going, there you may be also." And you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said, "'Lord, we we don't know where you're going, "'so how do we know the way?' And Jesus says, "'I am the way and the truth and the life. "'No one comes to the Father but through me.'" Let's keep reading. He says, "'If you had known me, "'you would have known my Father also. "'From now on you know him and have seen him. "'Philip said to him, "'Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. "'And Jesus said, "'Have I been with you so long "'and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? "'He who has seen me has seen the Father.'" How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son... If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then comes this next verse that seems kind of out of place, I think. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that is, or excuse me, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me, he will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. And then it continues, and we'll pick up there in a bit, Lord willing. But here I want us to see how all this ties in. Taking it a few verses at a time every week, though helpful as it is at times, here I think would be a disservice to the flow of the text. And so I want us to look at at a few broad things. And let me give you four things. I say a few, but it's four things. And let me just tell you now, we probably won't look at all of them today. We may continue this next week. But there's four things we're going to see in this section of John 14, 15, and 16. The first is, as we saw last week, Jesus told His disciples... That they will do greater works than the works that He did. And we chased that rabbit last week and saw that the disciples didn't do miracles any greater than what Jesus had done. In fact, the miracles they performed really were were less than the miracles that Jesus had performed. So He couldn't be talking about doing greater miracles uh, being signs and wonders. The greater work Jesus was pointing... ...to what the apostles were going to do when He resurrected and ascended. That was take the gospel message to the ends of the earth. And that message would be continued on through us who come after the apostles. Now we're not apostles today. We're disciples. We're Christians. We follow after Jesus Christ. We don't have the apostolic gifts of signs and wonders and those things. But we have the same charge, the same message to take forward... That Jesus saves. That salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name given under heaven by which, the, the, by which man can be saved. It's only through Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's the greater work that we're going to do. Greater extent. All of those things as we looked at last week. But here in the middle, he begins to break down a few aspects, I believe, of this overall charge to them of comfort and, and of uh, a job description, if you would. And so four things. The first one we'll look at today... Doing the greater works of Jesus, we will do greater works by obeying His teaching. That's the first thing. We will do greater works by obeying His teaching. We'll come back to that in just a second. So we can do greater works by doing these four different things. The first one we'll look at today, obeying His teaching. Secondly, Lord willing, we'll get to this today as well, by understanding the work of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of misinformation about the Holy Spirit today. We're going we're to clarify because Jesus clarifies it in these three chapters. So we can do greater works by obeying His teaching and by understanding the work of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, we'll see that we do greater works by trusting God even when we're not sure what He's doing. And folks, I'll confess, that's often. That's often, right? At least in the minute details. Now ultimately, we know He's working out all things for good and towards the goal of redemption of, of His Beloved. We see that. But right now, we're going to understand, today or next Sunday, doing the greater works by trusting God even when we're not sure what He's doing. And then lastly, we'll do greater works by accepting the peace that Jesus offers. All of these themes run through chapter 14, 15, and 16. And then it culminates when Jesus prays for them, the Lord's Prayer, that high priestly prayer. All of this teaching kind of captures down, and and he, He captures it in that prayer. And then after He's crucified, He's in the ground. The disciples are distraught. Three days later, He rises again from the grave, the greatest miracle of all. He walks with them. He eats with them. Drinks with them. Gives them a charge to go into all the world. Acts chapter 1, verse 7. He tells them, When the Spirit comes, right? He's going to, the Spirit will come and, and will do what? They will then be my witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then on the day of Pentecost, that Spirit comes, just like Jesus had said. And after the Holy Spirit comes, they begin to understand all the things that Jesus was teaching them. In the three, three and a half years He was with them, but specifically, they began to understand everything He said in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. When Jesus was preparing them for His departure, these chapters that we're looking at, they began to understand. And we know they understand because they began to do the greater works that Jesus had promised they would do. It's tremendous when we look at it from this bird's eye view. But let's go back down now and let's talk about this first thing. Verse 15. I said it looks... um, it sort of looks out of place. Let me get back there, John 14, verse 15. Jesus is talking about, uh, right here from 7 to 14, He's talking about leaving. He's talking about them, back to verse 1, not being uh, distraught because He's going to come to them again. He's the way for, the, for us, for them and for us, ultimately, to be with Him forever in glory. and And He says that they're going to do these greater works ultimately because the Holy Spirit's coming. But sandwiched right between this greater works empowered by the Spirit and then the Holy Spirit coming, sandwiched right between that is this charge. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. So I want us to see how these things all fit together. And so we will do these greater works that Jesus has called us to do. We'll be able, in essence, to live a Christian life, the life He saved us for, the life He calls us to. And it is a victorious life not trying to buy, uh, borrow from the name-it-and-claim-it-and-prosperity kind of people who, who have a false theology, but, but, but this is a victorious life. And oftentimes we, we look too short-sightedly at our circumstances. Anybody here guilty of doing that? We see our pains and our, our health issues and our financial issues and our, our lack of jobs, our job security, and, and all the things that are going on in the world... We look at those things and we don't look past them. And we forget that the same God who rose Himself from the grave is the same God who is alive and well today and active today in His body, the church. And so we need to understand that doing these greater things has to do with, first of all, verse 15, obeying His commands. And He really puts it on the line here. I think Jesus says this in a very matter-of-fact way. I'm not sure there's a more clear way He could say this. He's telling these guys, as, as they have been despairing about his departure, even as, as Peter has, 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 has um, argued with him already, and, and then uh, we see here, um, uh, excuse me, uh, back to Philip. Philip's wondering what's going on. Thomas as well. There's so much question, and yet they're still there, and they're still playing the role of the, of the faithful follower. All through these chapters we'll see that. And yet Jesus says, "'If you love me, you will keep my commandments.'" If you really love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, we do greater works by obeying the teachings of Jesus. And I want you to go back to John 13 for a second. John 13, verse 30. Let's just start at verses, um, oh, I guess just 33. 33 and following through 35, 36. Jesus has little children. It's a term of endearment. Little children, I'm with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I say to you also where I'm going. You can't come. And he's going to tell them in a little bit, you can't come now, but you'll come later. He's going to get to that. But he says, you can't come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. And so if we look at this clearly and we understand... What was taught in the Old Testament, we would understand that really to love one another is not that new. And we looked at this uh, several, several months back. But what Jesus changes here, he, he adds a qualifier, he adds a descriptor to this command. He says, to love one another as I have loved you, so you're to love one another. He upped the ante. How did Jesus love us? He loved us so much that he gave himself for us. In fact, John 3.16 tells us that the Father gave His only begotten Son. But we know Jesus Himself said that no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord, of my own volition. He loved us enough to go to the cross to pay for our sins. That's how much Jesus loved us. And as we'll see, as we make our way through 14, 15, and 16 today and next week, and probably another week after that, as we make our way through here, we'll see that Jesus demonstrated His love for us by obeying the Father's commands. He obeyed the Father's commands of going to the cross. We know as Jesus prays in the garden, when we get there in John 17 and following, we'll see that Jesus prays, Father, uh, if it's possible, take this cup from me. What's He wanting? He's wanting to, 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 to save people some other way. There's a moment where Jesus is understanding the agony that He's about to suffer. Not necessarily even the physical pain, but He's about to, be, he's about to take on our sin. He's about to be condemned for us on our behalf. I think he begins to understand the weight. Not that he, not that he learns things, but, but as we'll get there, it seems to hit him while he's praying for us in the garden. And he asks, if there's another way, God, not my will, take it from me if you can, but not, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He, he submits to the Father's will. He's obedient to the Father's plan. And that's what Jesus demands of us as well. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So I can never think to do the greater works of Jesus unless I am loving Jesus and obeying his teaching. You see, and this is where what we talked about, the asking anything in my name and I will do it, the name it and claim it, the way this has been twisted and distorted by by TBN and people like T.D. Jakes and others and uh, Joyce Meyer, Joel Osteen. There's so many that get this wrong. The reason is because we know they're wrong is, is this, because they do not obey the teachings of Jesus. You can't separate His commands from the supernatural. And that's what so many have tried to do here. And so in the midst of this supernatural passage, Jesus is telling them He's going, and yet they're not going to be orphaned because He's sending the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will come on them with power. And give them the power to witness and and to go forward and, and preach the gospel and make disciples. That's the same power we have today. He says, if you love Me, though, you'll keep My commandments. So this greater work, what's necessitated for us to do, the greater work of Jesus is to obey his teaching. And the number one command, I think, really all of his teachings get summarized in, in the great command and the second command. To love the Lord your, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love your neighbors yourself. The first and the second commands. All of the other commands really stem from them. If I love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I will obey him. Amen? If I love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I will not intentionally sin because I love my God who saved me, the Lord of hosts, who causes mountains to melt, worthy of our praise and our affection and our adoration. He's not a trinket God. He's not an idol. He's not the God of the box that we pull out when we need something. He is the God always, the God of always, the God of now even. And so if we love God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength, we'll, we'll obey Him. And He goes on to say there um, in, in John, He says, Love one another as I have loved you. So that's the new twist. To love God supremely, to love our neighbors ourselves, but to do so as Jesus loved us. And so His command then includes us loving our neighbor. We could spend the rest of today and probably even next week. In fact, I could probably pull three or four weeks out of it talking about who our neighbor is. But at least our neighbor is our brother and sister in Christ. At least. Amen? And so how do we treat one another? Do we treat one another in love as Christ loved us? Or do we disparage one another? Do we gossip? Do we backbite? Do we defame the character of people? Do we assume intention upon our brothers and sisters in Christ? Or do we give them the benefit of the doubt? I hope we give them the benefit of the doubt. And if we haven't, I hope after today that we will. Amen? You see, doing the greater works of Jesus involves us obeying His teachings. And His teachings are filled with relational teachings of how we relate to to each other. Preferring one another talked about that in Sunday school right the last several weeks as Brad or Chuck have been teaching through Philippians the attitude that Jesus had in humbling himself the attitude that we are to have one towards another preferring one another as greater than ourselves all that is included in the teachings of Jesus that we're to obey but his his teachings he goes on I want you to look at verse verse uh, 21 look at verse 21 he says this again He who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. If we're not obeying the teachings of Jesus, we're fooling ourselves into thinking we're right with God. He who has my commands and keeps them. So if we're going to keep the commands of God, we have to know those commands. We have to have them. Where do we have the commands in the teachings of Jesus? The teachings of Jesus. Andy Stanley has popularized this notion today. He's written a new book and he's preached a number of sermons and he's even tried to defend his right critics in defending this notion that we are now divorced from the Old Testament. And Andy Stanley's wrong. If we're divorced from the Old Testament, the New Testament has no foundation. If we're divorced from the Old Testament, Jesus died in vain. There's no reason for the sacrifice of Jesus if we divorce ourselves from the Old Testament. Andy Stanley has gone the way of heresy. Heresy. I dare say. It's sad. But we're seeing more and more go this way. People want a a politically correct Jesus in this day and age. A Jesus that loves everybody and condemns no one. But the Bible tells us that, that we all stand condemned unless we repent and turn from our sin and our wicked ways. Amen? We have to repent and follow Jesus. We have to obey His teaching. We're fooling ourselves and we're doing a disservice to the world if we claim to love Jesus and yet we don't obey His teachings. If we live like the world, we're telling the world to go to hell. We are. I know that sounds harsh, but it's the truth. If we love Jesus, 15 and 21 tell us here in John 14 that we will keep His commands. We will obey His commands. But he doesn't stop there. Look at verses 23 and 24. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, and here's why. Because in verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, that would be Judas, uh, excuse me, Judas Thaddeus. Uh, they're both named Judas, Judas, excuse me, but Judas, uh, this Judas was Judas Thaddeus. He went by a surname. And so Judas Thaddeus said to him, Lord, what has happened that you're, you're going to disclose yourself to us, but not the world? You see, Thaddeus didn't get it. He thought Jesus was coming to be uh, declared the Messiah and to set up his reign and to to conquer Rome at this time. They thought they were going to politically overthrow the, the 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 Roman Empire. There there are a lot of let me just say this kind of under my breath. There are a lot of Christians today that think that 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 come Tuesday we're going to overthrow the demonic kingdom by voting Republican. Now listen, I'm all for voting conservative and all of those things. I am. But regardless of what happens on Tuesday, the Lord Jesus is still on His throne and His will will be done. His will will be done. So please don't disparage in Tuesday. Do right while we have the power and opportunity to do so. Amen? Amen. Vote right. Vote for life and all those godly things. But don't think for a second. If we wake up Tuesday or we go to bed Tuesday and wake up Wednesday and it's blue, God messed up. Don't despair. God's still on His throne. But much like we despair today and think that how come Jesus isn't taking over politics and education and the the so-called seven mountains that have been mandated for us to conquer, so says the, the New Apostolic Reformation heretics. That's not our mission. Our mission is to preach the gospel. Amen? Our mission is to make disciples who obey Jesus. That's our mission. And so just like us today, Thaddeus didn't get it. What's happened? Aren't you going to show the world that you're the Messiah? What's, what's going on? And verse 23, Jesus answered him and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He goes back to obedience. A disobedient Christian may not be a Christian at all. I say may not. I think there are seasons when we all fall into disobedience. We fall into sin. We stumble into sin. Because we still wrestle with the, the, the sinful, fleshly monkey on our back, so to speak, Right? We fall into it. But if you consistently run, if I consistently am running, looking, planning, devising how to sin, that's very telling of the condition of my heart. Amen? He says, if you love me... He who keeps my word, he says in verse 24. He, he, well, 23, excuse me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and the Father will love him and he will come to him and, and make our abode with him. So now it's not just the Spirit coming or Jesus coming. It's, it's Jesus, the Spirit, and the Father. Again, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit residing in his followers. That's different than it had ever been before the day of Pentecost. So if we love him, we will obey him. We'll keep his commands. Look at chapter 15, verse 7 and 8. Turn to chapter 15. This theme, I'm telling you, it goes all throughout these chapters. Verse 7. Chapter 15, verse 7. Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that word abide, make your abode, take up residence, rest, throw your whole self into. Uh, if we had a couch up here and you just, you know how you collapse after a long day at the office or wherever, right? Out of the plant or, or at school. You just had a test. You're like, ah! You just had patients at the hospital. Oh, you just fall into that sofa. That's this word, abide, to abode. That's one way of looking at that. You're taking up residence. You're falling your whole weight into. So if you abide in Christ, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. That goes directly back to John 14, verse 14. There's a relation principle that's at work there. There's a doing it in His name, according to His word. And folks, listen to this. Listen, this is so important. This is why we don't believe the name-it-and-claim-it prosperity people. God doesn't contradict Himself. You can't prophesy wrongly and be a prophet of God. And there are no 100% infallible, accurate prophets today. There are none of those. Therefore, they don't speak for God. They don't speak for God. God will never contradict Himself. Never. He'll never contradict Himself. We have to abide by His name, which means His nature, His character, His Word, His teachings, what He's already clearly declared. All of those things we have to obey. We have to obey. We can't make up a God after our own liking to get us out of our jams. We have to obey the the revealed God, the God who revealed Himself through Jesus Christ and now through His Word. So His commands involves the abiding in Him. In verse 8, 15, 8, Jesus says, My Father is glorified uh, by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. If we're obeying His teachings, if we're obeying His teaching, that is part of the fuel that enables us to do the greater works of service, of ministry, of, of preaching the gospel. You and I can't preach a gospel and not obey Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. If I'm telling my buddies at work... You need Jesus. Jesus loves you, and and uh, best thing I ever did was give my life to Jesus. My life's great, and yet you're laughing at the dirty jokes at the plant. You're doing the same things that they're doing. You're saying the same things that they say. You use the same filthy language that they use. You're proving that you're not a disciple, and you're damaging the witness of Christ. And folks, that is a heavy, heavy thing for us to be accused of. I'm saying us. We have to obey the teachings of Jesus. Again, I've said this before, but if you're like me throughout your walk with Christ, you've, you've, tried, to, you've tried to invent the Piccadilly Jesus. You remember Piccadilly Jesus or the Lubies Jesus? You go through and you pick the stuff you like about Jesus and you put back the, you know, the green beans and the, the, the cabbage and the, the uh, collard greens. That's what it was, collard green. You know, you put all that stuff back and you get the fried stuff. That's the good stuff. The fried fish, the french fries, the fried chicken. You know, fried. Fried's good. Green, bad. That's what I used to think. But in our walk with Jesus, we often do that, sadly. We try to pick the easy, lovey-dovey stuff, the stuff that's good and that's not hard for us to accomplish. And then the loving your neighbor as yourself, preferring your brother or sister over you. That stuff's hard. I'm going to push that back to the server. I don't want any of that. That's difficult, but we can't pick and choose. We have to obey all of His commands. We have to bear fruit and thereby prove to be His disciples. A disciple that's not bearing fruit is proving not to be His disciple. That's what Jesus is saying here. And then look at at verse 10. He says again, If you keep My commands, you will abide in My love, just as I have kept My Father's commands and abide in His love. Folks, if I am sinning, and you know this to be true because this has probably happened to you. When we sin, what do we tend to do with ourselves? Do we tend to run to our brothers and sisters in Christ and confess our sin and, 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 and go to church with them? Or when we sin, when we're guilty and we know it, what do we tend to do? We tend to hide, don't we? We tend to stop coming to Sunday school. We stop coming to worship because why? We're under the conviction of God. But that is exactly the wrong thing to do. The right thing for us to do when we sin is to go to our brothers and sisters. And if we're a brother and sister to them, when we see them sinning, you know what the loving thing to do is? To grab your Bible and hit them just right across the forehead with it. No, don't do that. Don't do that. I mean, it may be helpful, but it's probably going to get you punched. The most loving thing you and I can do for a sinning brother or sister in Christ is to help them to see the error of their way. Lovingly, not pointing a finger at them. Bobby, I saw what you did. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. We shouldn't be like that. Just for instance, Mr. Bobby. It was really Troy, but that's a whole nother, for a whole other Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. It's probably me. But what we should do is, is, is do something like this. Bobby, man, look, I love you, and that's why I've got to tell you this. For instance, I'm just using Bobby as an example here, or Troy, but it could be anybody. I'm sinning. The most loving thing you can do for me is to come to me and say, Kevin, hey. I know you're the preacher and all, but Wednesday night you said this, and I don't think that was very good. If we're Christians, we should desire to be obedient to God. Amen? And His greater works involves keeping those commands.
0: Thanks for listening to today's broadcast of Contenders Radio with Pastor Kevin Inman. For more information on this or other broadcasts, please log on to our website, contendersradio.com. That's contendersradio.com. You can also find us on the web at kevininman.org that's kevininman.org there you will find podcast episodes blog posts study helps and more you can also follow us on facebook and twitter thanks again for listening and may god bless you in your pursuit of the truth